Indeed, amen. Praise God that peace indeed may be our portion here as we prepare for the world to come. To that end, we also want to read from the Belgic Confession, and I invite you to turn with me to page 870, 870 in the the back of our Psalter hymnals. One of the blessed features of the Belgic Confession is that virtually every article begins with the words, we believe. When you think about that, it's a wonder that we may believe, that we are given to believe. We think of the forefathers who bore testimony to the convictions of their faith. And throughout the Belgic Confession, uh, much is spoken of what the scriptures teach. Article 37 comes to us uh, under the heading, the theme, the the last judgment. And it reads this way. Finally, we believe. According to God's word, that when the time appointed by the Lord is come, which is unknown to all creatures, and the number of the elect is complete, our Lord Jesus Christ will come from heaven bodily and visibly as he ascended with great glory and majesty to declare himself the judge of the living and the dead, He will burn this old world in fire and flame in order to cleanse it. Then all human creatures will appear in person before that great judge. Men, women, and children who have lived from the beginning until the end of the world. They will be summoned there by the voice of the archangel and by the sound of the divine trumpet. For all those who died before that time will be raised from the earth, their spirits being joined and united with their own bodies in which they lived. And as for those who are still alive, they will not die like the others, but will be changed in a twinkling of an eye from corruptible to incorruptible. Then the books, that is the consciences, will be opened and the dead will be judged according to the things they did in the world whether good or evil indeed all people will give an account of all the idle words they have spoken which the world regards as only playing games and then the secrets and the hypocrisies of men will be publicly uncovered in the sight of all Therefore, with good reason, the thought of this judgment is horrible and dreadful to wicked and evil people. But it is very pleasant and a great comfort to the righteous and elect, since their total redemption will then be accomplished. They will then receive the fruits of their labor and of the trouble they have suffered. Their innocence will be openly recognized by all. And they will see the terrible vengeance 
that God will bring on the evil ones who tyrannized, oppressed, and tormented them in this world. The evil ones will be convicted by the witness of their own consciences and shall be made immortal, but only to be tormented in the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. In contrast, the faithful and elect will be crowned with glory and honor. The Son of God will confess their names before God his Father and the holy and elect angels. All tears will be wiped from their eyes and their cause at present condemned as heretical and evil by many judges and civil officers will be acknowledged as the cause of the Son of God. And as a gracious reward, the Lord will make them possess a glory such as the heart of man could never imagine. So we look forward to that great day with longing in order to enjoy fully the promises of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Belgic Confession, Article 37. Our gospel lesson comes to us from the book of Luke, chapter 17. Luke, chapter 17. This morning, as congregation, we gathered to celebrate the Lord's Supper, even as the Lord commanded us, do this in remembrance of me. The theme of remembrance is one that occurs more than several times in the scriptures. I think of Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2 where we read, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And our text tonight, as we come to verse 32, is also a call to remember. And so in humility, let us come before the word of God, reading from chapter 17, beginning at verse 20. Now, when he, that is the Lord Jesus, was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to the disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look here or look there, do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to another part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, 
So it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, will it be in the day when the Son of, when the Son of Man is revealed? In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it, I tell you. In that night there will be two men in one bed, and the one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together, the one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field, the one will be taken and the other left. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? So he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. So far, the public reading of the Word of God, we trust it to be a, a word of strengthening to our faith walk, and we trust that as we engage in the proclamation of the Word, that we will also then remember that while the grass withers and the flower fades, the Word of our God will abide forever. I read with you these three simple words from verse 32 once more. Remember Lot's wife. congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. During our Redeemer's public ministry, he was often asked about the coming kingdom of God, the fulfillment of God's kingdom in full. And those of the Jewish faith eagerly anticipated the arrival of this kingdom. The Pharisees were no different. They and their many followers were like many other citizens of Palestine who were looking forward to the arrival of an outward, earthly, visible, political kingdom. One in which the Jews would occupy a very prominent place. And they lived in anticipation for its arrival. They were so anxious to know when it would be established that they were willing to ask even the one that they despised, the Lord Jesus Christ. And to their question, Jesus, as he had done before, taught them 
that the kingdom, the kingdom, was not one that came by observation. And that one could not simply say, look here or look there. And then further, he, he spoke to his disciples. And as he spoke to his disciples, he taught them again that the kingdom of God was so much different than they had imagined it to be. The kingdom that will finally be ushered in does not come with the predictions of man. That is to say, one cannot, like a weather forecaster, predict its arrival. Yes, the kingdom will come, but not by conquering armies with a multitude of soldiers and horsemen. Rather, it will come when the vast majority of people least think of the coming of the king and his kingdom. And while they are so busy with the ordinary pursuits of life that it catches them completely off guard, the king will come. Perhaps even in our lifetime. Our celebration of the Lord's Supper this morning is a testimony to this fact we celebrate until he comes. And on that day when he comes, that grand and glorious day, it will be as in the days of Noah when the flood came unexpectedly upon the earth with its devastating destruction. Noah had been preaching with his hammer for 120 years. And it will be as the days of Sodom and Gomorrah when brimstone, without any warning, suddenly rained down and in devastated the inhabitants of the valley. Our Lord Jesus, he taught as one with authority, and in his teaching he often included warning, warning concerning the gospel of salvation. And no less today, any pulpit worth its salt must include warning for those who have ears to hear. And in the midst of his sermon about the coming of the Son of Man and his kingdom, the Lord Jesus Christ inserts a very brief uh, sentence, a phrase, as it were, of only three words. But it is a sentence full of, of meaning and admonition. Remember, Lot's wife. And we do well to ask ourselves this evening how we are to understand this word for our own pilgrim journey. No doubt the account, the story is familiar to all of us. By using the example of Lot's wife, the Lord Jesus holds before his followers, his disciples as we are called to be, the fact that they should be so prepared for his return that in their thoughts and words and deeds, he, the Lord Jesus Christ, would be in the foreground. And that what we do, even in our ordinary activities from day to day, our coming and going must be done in obedience to the triune God with an eye to the heavens, thinking, pondering, meditating on the work of our God, even as he's preparing to return. And so may our great God once again use this holy word this evening to impress the warning of Jesus into our hearts. You need it. I need it. 
And then in this post-communion worship service, we, we gather our thoughts under the theme, Remembering Lot's Wife. And in the first place, we need to remember Mrs. Lot in her privileges. Secondly, we need to remember her in her destruction. And thirdly, we need to remember her in her unbelief. Remember Lot's wife in her privileges. And when we do that, it is not out of place to recall that Mrs. Lot was privileged far above most of the women of her day. Her first great privilege was that she was married to Lot, a nephew of Abraham, the friend of God. Lot, too, was one of our Heavenly Father's children, for we read in Second Peter chapter 2 that God delivered righteous Lot. Lot, despite his many shortcomings and sins, was a God-fearing man. And the Bible makes it clear that Lot was indeed wrong in pitching his tent towards Sodom and eventually living there. But the fact remains, he did go with Abram to the land of Canaan because he believed the covenant promises which God made to Abram about the future coming of Christ and his kingdom. Mrs. Lot had a believing husband. She enjoyed the advantage of knowing what he believed and from what principles he lived. She knew his hopes and his love. But being married to a Christian does not assure us of being a Christian ourselves. Nor does it guarantee we will be heaven bound to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Remember Lot's wife. And then we note a second great privilege. Mrs. Lot was in the company of two of the heroes of faith. Both Abraham and Sarah are mentioned in the book of Hebrews as outstanding God-fearing people who walk by faith. Abraham is even called the father of all believers in the game we mentioned. A great title. That God gave him the friend of God. Abraham heard and obeyed the call of God to leave all and to go to the land that God would show him. And Mrs. Lot together with her husband journeyed with Abraham and Sarah. And together they went up and down and through uh, Canaan. Together they talked of God's commands and his covenant promises. She saw Abraham in his unwavering faith throughout the years. This was a rare privilege shared only by those close to Abraham and Sarah. Indeed, to have a Christian fellowship, the fellowship of Christian brothers and sisters in the faith, to hear the gospel faithfully proclaimed, the sacraments administrated according to the will of God, to enjoy the communion of the saints. Also, as we exercise hospitality to one another, to go to a Christian school, to attend the Sunday school and catechism classes and the church societies. Why, they are all great privileges. But it is no guarantee that we of ourselves are Christians. 
Mrs. Lott enjoyed these benefits according to the standards of her time. But she was not a Christian. Remember Lot's wife. And thirdly, another privilege. She knew the story of the flood with its interpretation. She knew that the unbelieving world was punished for their ungodliness and that Noah with his seven relatives were saved. She knew church history to a certain extent and should have learned from it even as we ourselves must consider the rare privilege of knowing the history of God's people as it comes to us infallibly in the pages of scripture but also as it comes to us over the record of time as we find it on the pages of church history since the formation of the New Testament church at Pentecost. We may not be indifferent to our history. We need to remember it. Study it. And know why our forefathers stood for what they stood. But all of this too is not an assurance that one belongs to the church of the living God. Remember Lot's wife. And then in the fourth place, we must also notice that she experienced God's marvelous deeds of mercy. She and her husband were rescued by Abraham on that occasion that they were taken captive. We read of that in Genesis 14. And no doubt they would have been anxious moments for her and perhaps she even prayed for deliverance. But how many people in a moment of terror will not cry out to God though they do not live for him day by day. They take his name to their lips. They know nothing of him. How many soldiers in their foxholes pray with a measure of intensity but do not have faith, saving faith. Foxhole religion and true faith are not the same things. Remember Lot's wife. Then in the fifth place, she had been a hostess to angels. On the eve before Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, two angels came to lodge in her home. Think on that. No other person in the entire history of the Bible had overnight visitors as she did. Abraham entertained angels, but they did not stay for the night. We do think of Daniel, who in the den, so I call it the angel's den, experienced that fellowship. But for the part that we are thinking of, What privilege was hers? She saw these angels in their work of mercy and also judgments. She saw the inhabitants struck blind by God's power. She knew that God meant business when she with Lot was urged, was urged, told to to urged the engaged friends of their daughters to come with them and flee from the wrath and the judgment that was to come upon the cities. 
she entertained angels. But let us also remember that she was not prepared to meet her God when sudden destruction came upon her world. What privileges she enjoyed, and yet the Lord Jesus uses her in his teaching concerning what is yet to come as a warning to all who have ears to hear in the context that speaks then of the sudden coming of the Son of Man at the end of time. And never forget, congregation, with great privilege comes great responsibility. If sudden destruction were to come upon us, whatever the situation might be, some speak of accidents, the reality of heart failure, sickness that takes a life. May it be that we shall not open our eyes in the place where Lot's wife is already now suffering the pains of untold agony. Let us not forget Lot's wife in her privileges. And then for a moment or two, in the second place, let us remember Lot's wife in her destruction. It was a sudden destruction. Here she was. You can imagine. Imagine it as it were in your, your mind's eye. From all appearances, she was safe. She had escaped. Yes, it had been hard to depart, but two angels had convinced Lot, Mrs. Lot and their two daughters engaged to be married to flee. The Bible tells us that they even took hold of their hands. But whether it was curiosity, pity, or longing for the things that she left behind, her heart was still in Sodom. She could not resist from looking back. Oh, for that one last look. And suddenly, in a twinkling of an eye, she was destroyed and stood in the presence of her creator where she had to give an account for the things done in the body and recorded on her conscience. <clears throat> an account for all her privileges. Yes, two will be in the field, one will be taken, and the other left. Mrs. Lot was taken. Lot was left. And this is the way it will be once again when the Lord Jesus returns in his second coming, bringing with him God's kingdom. And we need to be ready. Not only was her destruction sudden, it was final. And when she suddenly became a pillar of salt, she never had a, another opportunity, so to speak, to make amends. She could never again hear the gospel from the lips and the heart of her husband. She could never again hear Abraham tell about the sweet promises of the faithful covenant God and how precious it was to be a friend of God. Never again would she be permitted to entertain angels. Instead, she would be doomed to the companionship of those in hell where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. She would be in the presence of the company of demons. Yes, 
The Bible says that it is appointed for a man to die once and then the judgments. The Bible says to all of us today, today, while you hear the voice of God, do not harden your hearts. For Mrs. Lot, there was the tragic finality of which she had no recourse and of which you and I, according to the command of Christ, may never forget. Jesus made reference to her life for the very purpose that we too would be warned so that we too might be consciously preparing for the coming of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mrs. Lot may have had an historical faith, but she did not have a saving faith. In fact, it would seem that Mrs. Lot felt right at home in Sodom. She was not preparing for the judgment to come. And Jesus, by his word in Luke 17, reminds us, reminds you and reminds me to be ready when he comes. Yes, she took only but one look. That's all it took. Inwardly, Mrs. Lot yearned for those whom she left behind. And in the end, she got what she wanted. In her moment of death, she joined those of Sodom and Gomorrah whom the Lord destroyed because of their wickedness. Our Savior uses just three words, but these words which he spoke go far back into history. And they also serve to push us forward into the time, to the day, when our Savior will suddenly come upon the clouds and with a twinkling of an eye, we shall stand before the judgment seats. Our Savior has instructed us to be ready for this hour. Congregation, we, we need to ask ourselves in humility and sincerity, are we ready? Are we ready? In our daily comings and goings, do, do, do we, we live with that awareness that the Lord could come back at any time, that you could be called at any time out of time into eternity? And then finally, in the third place, let us remember Lot's wife and her unbelief. The sad thing about Mrs. Lot is not that she turned into a pillar of salt but that in her scale of values, she placed earth above heaven and material things above spiritual things. Her heart was worldly. It was one with the citizens of Sodom and not one with the heart of her husband, not one with the heart of, a, of that forward look. Her treasure was in the world. The Lord Jesus has taught us where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. And in unbelief she lived for this life. And didn't think enough about the life to come. We might say she was an example of the outwardly moral fine people of the world. Some who, who even go to church for the sake of respectability. For the uh, enjoyment of the social gathering, the so-called worldly Christian. She was not an unbeliever in the sense that she, she militantly fought against the cause of Christ as we see uh, happening in, uh, by so many in our society today. 
Oh, in the space of a generation, the fist against God and his kingdom, God and his Christ, God and the work of the Holy Spirit has been raised in very ugly ways. She, that was not Mrs. Lott. But rather, in the sense that she never really enjoyed singing the songs of Zion or the confession of faith, the study of God's word, the giving of the gifts, the attentive listening to the preached word of God, the things of God were not a positive power in her life. And this unbelief became very evident when the angels taking her by the hand, giving her the specific command not to look back. Don't do it. Don't do it. She disobeyed. She rejected the word of God. And so we see that she was an unbeliever in the sense that the word of God was not a power in her heart to salvation. She shows, as one pastor once noted, that there is a difference between a believer who believes the Bible historically and a true believer who believes the scriptures unto salvation. The pull of the world was too much for her. We need to recognize that pull in our own lives. We can't simply just dismiss it. No sooner had the angels gone, no sooner had they let go of her hand than she began to wonder about her goods that were being burned, about her friends that were dying. She failed to think about how marvelous God was in sending her and her family the warning to flee from the wrath to come. She had that backward worldly look Instead of that forward heavenly look, she looked in spite of the warning. She looked because in the inward core of her heart she remained unconverted. She remained an unbeliever despite her rich heritage and the experiences that were her. She died an unbeliever and received an unbeliever's reward. Beloved, Remember Lot's wife. Because most of us gathered here this evening in the Lord's house have experienced far, far more privilege than Mrs. Lot. Many of us reared in Christian homes, exposed to biblical reformed teaching and preaching for years, possessors of God's covenant promises. We might know something of the record of church history. We have the scriptures in our hands. We have Bibles, uh, as it were, multiplied in our homes. The scriptures that, that tell us of those who have gone before us. The scriptures that record for us the work of, of our Savior. I recall from the gospel as Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem. The gospel writer records he set his face like flint. He kept his eyes to the task that was at hand. And he calls us here, even as we prayed earlier, to keep 
our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ to run that race of faith, to remember that he is the author, the finisher, the perfecter of our faith, he who, who endured, endured, and endured the wrath of God against your sin and my sin on the cross. The Lord Jesus who paid the price even as we celebrated that together in the Lord's Supper this morning. The Lord Jesus who, who won the victory. The Lord Jesus Christ who, who in his body resurrected and who is now ascended at the right hand of the Father. Now suppose the Lord Jesus would come tomorrow. It's entirely possible. We should know this evening or the day before that he is coming. Would we be glad? Would we be glad about his coming or sorry because there is so much we think, we think we might lose. We have a beautiful home. And it would be too bad that it would be destroyed. A prosperous farm, no longer ours. Perhaps you have some friends in the world whose companionship you would miss. What Jesus is holding before you and me, uh, holding before us as a congregation, is that we should be so prepared for his return that in our thoughts, words, and deeds we know. That Jesus comes first. That we exercise our lives in the midst of our own frailties out of love for Him and for the triune God. We have to ask ourselves in self examination how is it for us? Could it be possibly true that? That, that some of us really don't have too much trouble with those of the world. Does it trouble us? Trouble us that there are many who desecrate the Lord's day, making it unholy. Are we alarmed at the ease at which we might adopt the philosophy of the unbeliever with respect to how it is we conduct ourselves on, uh, in times of leisure? We take time away. We live in the great sorrow of what is unfolding in our society at large. A society that's bent on the practices of hell. All these temptations remember Lot's wife. Let the wife of Lot warn you and warn me against half-heartedness. Don't be one of those who have too much of the Christian religion to be happy in the world and too little to be happy in the church. Such people are still worldly and are like Mrs. Lot in their inward being. One pastor once said, Our Savior spoke these words as a warning in the midst of his sermon of his coming on the clouds to judge the living and the dead. And it is a warning, no doubt, but it is also a word of encouragement for us. 
For in realizing the truth and holding to the truth and not uh, putting the truth aside, we are driven once again to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might put our trust and confidence in Him, that we might trust Him at His word. Jesus does not merely warn, but He's also urging us, encouraging us to trust Him and to flee to escape from the wrath to come. He, he's urging us to look forward, look forward to the great day of days, to keep our eyes on the treasure, the treasure, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it cannot be an attitude of take it or leave it, but a gracious warning to escape by taking up the yoke of Christ, learning of him so that we in him may find rest. Oh, the rest that we need for our souls. It is a glorious invitation to examine our hearts, whether we are ready, if he should come upon the clouds in that unexpected moment. Lot's wife was not ready. She was not prepared for the judgment she received. Are you prepared? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Remember 